everybody. My name is Dr. Michael Wald, and thank you so much for tuning in to Ask the Blood Detective. Today's show topic is weak pancreas syndrome. And I can tell you, if you are over 50, you probably have weak pancreas syndrome, and you don't even know it. But consider for a second that some of the symptoms I'm about to mention, and many others I'll review during the show, put you in the category for having insufficient pancreatic function. And in short, the pancreas is an organ of digestion, but it's also a hormonal secreting organ helping to balance blood sugar. So maybe you have indigestion, uh, food repeats on you after you eat. That might mean you don't make enough pancreatic enzymes. Maybe you have excessive burping or belching or bloating uh, following meals. You might have any kind of digestive symptoms at all. I mean, I'm talking anything. Let's say within an hour of eating, you may very well have weak pancreas syndrome. I'm gonna give you the first blood detective clue here. If you eat a food and you have some adverse symptom to that food, it could be mental, emotional, physical, doesn't matter. Within about 20 to 30 minutes of consuming that food, you most likely have a stomach acid weakness because the stomach is the first organ of digestion that's responsible for digesting your food within the first 30 minutes. So if your symptoms come within that period of time, you've got a stomach acid problem. But having a stomach acid problem, meaning low stomach acid, not enough stomach acid, they call that hypochlorhydria. You might not have any stomach acid, particularly if you're over 60, they call that achlorhydria. Think about stomach. Then, if your stomach is weak, not making stomach acid, if the cells that line your stomach, called the parietal cells, do not make enough stomach acid for autoimmune reasons, for allergy reasons, for aging reasons, for hormonal reasons, for nutrition reasons, for infection reasons, you name it, there's lots of reasons. When food goes from your stomach into the next chamber of your digestive tract, called your small intestine, you're gonna, you're gonna have a problem because in the small intestine, that tube, the pancreas, which you can think of is, so think of a tube in your mind's eye and then think of the pancreas as the circle above your tube, but then that circle has a tube itself that goes all the way down and goes, pierces right into the small intestine tube. What happens is, your undigested or partially digested food from your stomach because of low stomach acid, when it enters the small intestine, your pancreas says, hey, I gotta digest that undigested stuff, that's bad news. So the pancreas secretes protein, fat, and starch digesting enzymes, which go down that tube from the pancreas into the stomach, but because the pancreas wasn't counting on doing so much digestive work because it thought that your stomach would do all of that work. It starts to overwork itself. And after a few years of overworking, making too many enzymes, squeezing out all its resources, you get a hypo-functioning pancreas. Hypo is low. Hypo is weak. Thus, the title of the show, Weak Pancreas Syndrome. Now, you don't hear about weak pancreas in medicine much, hardly ever. In medicine, and I went to medical school so I can tell you firsthand, they teach us everything about 
high pancreatic function, as they should, because people with pancreatitis, which is an elevation of the pancreatic enzymes, sort of a a hyperfunctioning, means that that person is in big trouble. Pancreatitis is a very serious condition. I had done rounds uh, during my gastroenterology rotations in medical school in New Jersey, in fact, and there were a number of people I met with pancreatitis. And as I was learning at that point, I would say to my chief, and we were working one-on-one, that's how I did my entire rotation. I found this doctor, I, I begged him, I said, take me on rounds. And he did it. And uh, there were individuals in the hospital setting with pancreatitis and everyone knows it's, it's touch and go. No one quite knows exactly what to do. You might give them steroids to reduce the pancreatic inflammation. Sometimes, rarely, they give pancreatic enzymes, which help pain of pancreatitis. But the most common cause of pancreatitis in a hospital-based setting is alcohol abuse. But any other infection can simply start in the pancreas causing this high pancreatic condition. But most of you do not have to worry about that now. You may never have to worry about that. Most everyone else, in my opinion, need to think about hypofunction or low pancreatic function because aging causes weak pancreatic enzyme output overwork of the pancreas to make insulin and or to make the protein, starch, and fat-digesting enzymes, protease, lipase, and amylase, will weaken the pancreas. And all of that could have been caused by weakness of the stomach lining causing undigested or partially digested food to enter the small intestine, the pancreas saying, oh my goodness, I have to do all this work? So it just, it can't produce the level of enzymes forever. So the thing is that most people have weak pancreatic syndrome. And if you are, like I mentioned, someone that has gas that often or your intestinal tract doesn't move well uh, throughout the day, you don't have the, the bowel movement frequency that you'd like when you do, it moves very slowly. Maybe your stools are malodorous, which is a fancy term for they stink. <clears throat> maybe, and maybe they stink because as all that food stays in you, it's putrefying, causing all these putrefaction bacteria, which basically are smoldering mass of mess that release endotoxins, toxins in the intestinal tract. So <clears throat> whenever we talk about, you're going to like this, whenever we talk about small intestine bacterial overgrowth and leaky gut, so for those of you that don't know what those are, Leaky gut means your small intestine or your large intestine or both are very are very porous. They're starting to break down. They're leaking. And that basically is the beginning of the end because the bacteria, fungi, parasites, toxins within the intestinal lumen inside the intestine leak out, causing these reactions by the immune system and other inflammatory mediators throughout the body and everything in the body lights up like a Christmas tree. And so these patients come to see me and they say, Dr. Wald, everything hurts. My joints, my muscles, my brain is foggy. I have no energy. I'm irritable. My bowels are too slow. Excuse me. 
And I say, well, you know, if I threw a party right now and I asked all the people I have with your symptoms to show up for the party, uh, you would be shocked to find out that you're really not that unique. And then I apologize for making a silly joke, which is actually true. A lot of individuals have all of these symptoms. And when I hear them that way, I know it's because of leaky gut. I know it's because of small intestine bacterial overgrowth. But everyone, the difference is, this is new. This is your blood detective clinical point right here. If you have or you suspect you have leaky gut or overgrowth of bacteria, you probably have weak pancreas and or low stomach acid. Do you need probiotics? Of course you need probiotics. But if you throw probiotics in an environment that has low stomach acid and low pancreatic enzymes and putrefying bacteria, you're probably not going to make the biggest difference you could. And even the timing of your probiotics should be different. Should you give your probiotics with stomach acid and or with pancreatic enzymes or both? Should you include bile acids? Maybe. Okay. So let's back up for a second. The thing about Weak pancreatic function is that it can be caused by regular aging, if there is such a thing. Almost no one I know ages normally. And then there's those that have diseases, autoimmune diseases, chronic conditions, long-standing conditions, arthritic conditions, neurologic conditions, gastro conditions, uh, endocrine conditions, lymphatic conditions, circulatory conditions, nutritional conditions. It doesn't matter what it is. It all can play upon the pancreas, weaken the pancreas, which then just screws everything up. And you know, what's interesting is some people say the liver is the most important organ in the body because it's the organ of detox. But the but the kidneys detox too, and the lymphatic system, the circulatory system, and the pulmonary system, and the digestive tract, and the renal system, all detox as well. So I don't believe in these um, generalizations about what's the most important thing. What I like to do with each individual is always treat everything at one time because the body doesn't separate out all these body parts. The only people that do that are in medical schools compartmentalizing the body parts. Um, let's take a gastroenterology course. Let's take a neurology course. Let's take a OBGYN course because that's how to artificially break things down so it's easier for medical students to understand these very complex topics. The only problem is by doing that, and I've talked about the problems with medical school education before, When you artificially compartmentalize the body and you learn it that way, you do not know how to look at the body as a whole. You just do not. You can use those words. You can claim that you do. But if you learn something a certain way, that's how you view it in the world. And unless you get a clue that the body doesn't really work in compartments, then you see things differently. So for example, I saw a woman not so long ago, and this is not an uncommon thing in my experience, where she had a history of breast cancer. She knew that she had calcified arteries in her abdominal area, her aorta. She had muscle aches and joint aches and and horrific arthritis, and she had bone loss. So all of those things are one thing. How? Well, 
When there's inflammation in someone's body, in a susceptible person, they will lose calcium from bone. That calcium comes out of the bone and the body says, where do I stick this stuff? I, I don't know how to keep it in the bone. So it'll deposit in the muscle tissue, causing achiness, cramping, all of that. Then it'll deposit itself also in the joints, causing arthritis, in the arteries, causing hardening of the arteries or arterial sclerosis. And breast cancer, at least her brand of breast cancer, was associated with calcified breast cysts, which she knew months and months and months before, maybe years before her breast cancer diagnosis was made, even though we know that calcified breast cysts is a very strong precursor. So the, the point here is I'm just trying to let you know that if you don't see things holistically, someone might, some physicians might look at all of those problems I just mentioned, and you'd have to go to five different doctors. And we all know the doctors don't talk with one another. When my patients ask their doctors to call me so we can confer and work together, do you think I get calls? No. Do I get calls from other doctors? Of course I do. But the majority of them do not call. They are not interested in doing anything other than what they do. And you know something? That's fair, I guess. But we wouldn't want to undermine the patient by saying you shouldn't do anything else. None of that stuff works because it's just not even true. So back to the pancreas. If you are over 50 and you have any chronic health problem that you have any clue might have to do with digestive enzymes and absorption, then you probably have a weak pancreas. So how do you know? Well, before I tell you that, I want to also mention that signs of a weak pancreas could be just inflammation. Did you know that pancreatic enzymes are anti-inflammatory agents? They are. When you eat pancreatic enzymes, some of those enzymes make their way to your bloodstream and they circulate and they literally will auto-digest foreign proteins. That's amazing. So individuals, and here's my disclaimer, you shouldn't do this without the you know, help and guidance of a trained nutritional practitioner, but those of us like me who are aware that if someone has autoimmune disease or heart disease or anything inflammatory, Giving high doses of pancreatic enzymes usually reduces inflammation, thus reduces pain, and improves healing. If a person has any chronic degenerative condition, they need all of the enzymes in a pancreatic support. Proteases, lipases, amylases. However, I combine proteases amylases and lipases all together from an animal form of enzyme source. And I also add bile acids, which break down and emulsify, break down very, very well, fatty things like healthy fats to make hormones and fat-soluble vitamins. You can't absorb fat-soluble vitamins without the proper lipase. That's secreted by the pancreas. Fat-soluble vitamins are vitamin A, vitamin D is fat-soluble, vitamin E, vitamin K that everyone's clamoring about how important it is now. But A, D, E, and K are what they teach in medical school. They even say, here's how you remember the fat-soluble vitamins. Remember this acronym ADEK, A-D-E-K, vitamin A, D, E, K. But also omega-3 fatty acids they forgot to add on that list, which are 
fat-soluble, obviously, and lipoic acid. That is partially fat-soluble. Coenzyme Q10, ubiquinol, that is partially fat-soluble. Vitamin E, partially fat-soluble. The list goes on and on, which means if you have a weak adrenal gland, you will malabsorb those fat-soluble nutrients. But not just the fat ones. Remember, pancreatic enzymes also are and include the protein-digesting enzymes. So if your pancreas is not making enough of the protease enzymes, by the way, folks, any word in biochemistry or chemistry that ends in an A-S-E, ACE, means it is an enzyme. Enzymes, by definition, run various reactions in the body. They control their rate of the reactions. You're deficient in enzymes, the rate of healthful reactions are slow or non-existent. If you have too much, they could be too fast. So there needs to be a balance. But because most people that I see over 50 that have a lot of these problems I'm just describing to you, maldigestion, malabsorbing, pain syndromes, difficulty healing, chronic problems, autoimmune problems. And guess what, everyone? Aging is an autoimmune disease. Everyone needs enzymes. Everyone needs enzymes. Except for those, so I guess not everyone, except for those who have, um, let me think. Yes, okay. You do not want to take pancreatic enzymes if you have ulcers. You don't want to do that. That would be foolish. You want to cure your ulcers in another way. And the other contraindication would be possibly pregnancy. You don't want to give stomach acids, pancreatic enzymes, or bile. Why? Because no one's ever studied these things in pregnancy and everyone's scared of giving anything to pregnant women. I'm just telling you the truth. So back to the protein deficiency. So I said aging is an autoimmune process. As you age, if your organs can't maintain their healing, well, what happens is they break down and you malabsorb and you can't absorb the proteins you need and you break down more and you break down more and the immune system says, hey, this body doesn't look anything like the body I started with, so I'm going to make more antibodies against it to break it down. If your nutrition and repair and if your pancreas secretion of enzymes, which allow you to absorb fats for repair, to absorb for repair, that is, to absorb proteins for repair of tissues, and to absorb carbohydrates for metabolic energy, then healing does not happen. So we need pancreatic enzymes, obviously, for absorption and repair and reduction of inflammation, right? Because they digest inflammatory mediators in circulation. They reduce the body's production of inflammatory mediators, which, by the way, cause all human disease. There isn't a cause of human death that you can think of that that does not involve inflammation. So we can eat our anti-inflammatory diet, but that's nonsense, and I'll tell you why in a minute. It might have some factors that help us eating vegan or low-inflammatory, which is the same thing pretty much, uh, is wonderful, but what if you're not absorbing it? I've said a zillion times on the blood detective radio shows that you are not what you eat. You are what you absorb from what you eat. And even that one extra level of common sense thinking, you know, people saying, you, you're what you eat. 
uh, wrong, wrong, wrong. You, you absorb. That's inarguable what I say. That's not an opinion of Dr. Michael Wald. So for those of you just joining us, you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Wald, and we're talking about weak pancreas. We've talked about how the pancreas is this insulin-secreting organ. It's a digestive enzyme-secreting organ, essential for the production of lipase, amylase, and protease enzymes. And that if you're over 50, you probably have low pancreatic support. Now, each and every one of you should be emailing me at info at blooddetective.com, info at blooddetective.com, and request that I send you my digestive questionnaire. Because you, this questionnaire is very brief, but it's going to help you figure out yourself where your weak areas are in terms of symptoms and what organs in the digestive tract and glands might, they, it might point to the fact that you need repair. So info at blooddetective.com, simply in the email, ask me for the hormonal questionnaire. I will send it to you, no questions asked. The thing about questionnaires is, folks, most doctors are lazy. Well, this is just my, my 28 years of, of experience, you know, that doctors will sit with you and they'll, they'll sketch some notes down based on a conversation. They'll draw fast conclusions within the first 10 seconds. And by 10 minutes, your appointment's over. Okay, so how do we get beyond that? Questionnaires. Uh, questionnaires are probably one of the best ways that I can think of for the non-healthcare professional and the health professional to record and categorize and clarify how your symptoms are not only affecting you, but from what symptoms or I should say systems of the body uh, that uh, they're coming from so that you can target your nutrition and any other healing modalities more directly. So you'll definitely want that questionnaire. Now, a fair question is, what, how do you know that you have a weak pancreas? How do, you, how do you actually know that? Is there a blood test that can tell you that? Is there any kind of test that can tell you you have a weak pancreas? The answer is, yeah. Uh, one can measure amylase and lipases. Uh, the protease tests are not considered that accurate and they're not even done by most commercial labs. But lipase and amylase are measured routinely in medicine, but generally speaking for the diagnosis of a, a pancreatitis or to confirm a suspected dose, which means inflammation of the pancreas. And again, inflammation of the pancreas can be caused by pancreatic cancer. It can be caused by infection of the pancreas. There's, there are so many problems, necrosis due to alcoholic, um, what they call degenerative hemolytic responses in the pancreas, blood clots, all kinds of things. And again, when I was mentioning earlier, seeing people in a hospital-based setting with pancreatitis, it was always a touch-and-go situation, and these people were in a lot of pain. So, um, and, and none, none of the instances of people with pancreatitis that I ever see the doctors on call recommend pancreatic enzymes, even though pancreatic enzymes is a medically recommended treatment for pain from pancreatitis that's found in many medical textbooks. Uh, they just don't use it. I like to, as I was started to say earlier, I like to use pancreatic enzymes, stomach acid, and bile acids at the same time because... When a person is over 50, in my experience, they don't just have pancreatic weakness. They have pancreatic weakness because they had stomach acid weakness, and the liver gets overworked too. 
the liver, put, think of the liver as an open hand that you have. Okay, open your hand. And then if you don't have a cell phone in your hand now, put your other hand in that open hand and now close your hand. And think of the hand that you had open as the liver and then your other hand that you put in that hand and you close your hand on top of, that's the gallbladder. So the gallbladder is the fist and then you've got the hand on top of that, that's the liver because the liver has a gallbladder on on top of it. And then the liver makes, among other things, bile acids. So it makes the bile acids, they come out of the liver, they go into these little tubes and they go into the gallbladder, which is on the back of the liver. And then all that bile acids stay in the gallbladder and the gallbladder has a tube that goes way down and it goes right in the small intestine. Now follow me here. So the liver has a gallbladder, the gallbladder has a tube, it goes right into the small intestine. Think of the small intestine as a garden hose and a tube, a straw goes right in, bam. Then your pancreas, which is somewhere out there, it also has a tube and it also goes right into the small intestine, right into the garden hose. And it actually meets up with the, that tube from the gallbladder. So you've got the tube from the gallbladder that goes all the way down to the small intestine. It pierces it. And then you've got the tube from the pancreas goes all the way down to the small intestine and then meets exactly at the spot of the other tube and they join together. So when the body needs digestive enzymes, let's say you eat some food, your stomach stretches, the stretch reflex releases certain hormones and messages in the, neural, in the nervous system that goes to the feeding center and the hypothalamus in the brain. And then that tells the pancreas to secrete pancreatic enzymes. It goes through the pancreatic duct that will add tube all the way to the small intestine. And then uh, if there's fatty food there, for example, the liver gets the message, the gallbladder starts to contract, the gallbladder valve opens, the gallbladder contents with the bile acids go into the small intestine, and then you get the bile acids in the small intestines, you have this pancreatic enzymes, the proteins, the carbohydrates, the starches, everything starts digesting great. So that's what it's supposed to happen. But sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes the fluid in those tubes, in the pancreatic tube and the gallbladder tube, they get very thick, they get very congealy. And then you get backup of bile. You get backup of enzymes and acids in the pancreas. And, and again, all heck breaks loose. You get inflammation of the liver, you can get inflammation of the gallbladder, the tubes will inflame. Uh, there are, there are life-threatening conditions when this actually happens. Uh, most individuals don't experience those life-threatening examples of when these, these systems get backed up, but they do suffer from chronic digestive issues that can be from all of this. So how do you keep it clean? Well, what I do, and I'm not saying you should do this, again, this is all for educational purposes, this information, is that I use my digestive um, enzyme product, which I call Detox Absorb Enzyme Complex. You can see that on blooddetective.com, by the way. It's called Detox Absorb Enzyme Complex, where it's got the bile acids, the pancreatic enzymes, and the stomach acid, particularly for over 50. If you have reflux, if you have known ulcers, if you're pregnant, don't use it. 
Uh, that doesn't mean you can't use these things, except you'd need to see a, you know, a, tr- a well-trained nutritional healthcare provider that knows what they're doing that makes sure you're taking the right things. So think about these symptoms for a second. And indigestion. If you have indigestion and if food repeats on you, you don't have enough stomach acid. You may also not have enough pancreatic enzymes. So you eat some food, you get symptoms right away, which sounds like stomach, right? Because we said if you experience it early, like in the first 20, 30 minutes, that's the stomach if you get symptoms. But you might also also have pancreatic enzyme deficiencies causing a backup or food in your small intestine and colon just sitting there. So you eat a new thing and everything repeats on you. And all you think is possibly, that's my stomach. It's never only that. Even if it's only that, it's never only that. And then burping, belching, bloating, following meals, low stomach acid. Several years back, I had a woman, as I recall, she was about to go on Oprah at the time. I mean, I'm thinking back now, this is a while, like 20 years. Oprah was, of course, in her heyday then. And um, my point is, though, she was going on the show because she had chronic belching. She would belch constantly. And they thought this was funny enough to put on TV. And um, she came to me. She had gone to other people. And she sat down and she said, very frankly, I don't expect you to help me. I'm just coming here because I'm going on Oprah next week. And, you know, they're going to ask me. Did I try different treatments? And I need to, you know, tell them that I that I did, and I have. So I put her on um, a stomach acid, pancreatic enzymes, and bile uh, product. And the next morning, I might have even been that evening, she said that her belching stopped completely. You know, even I, I, I've mentioned this before, even I get surprised when nutrition and natural medicine works so well and so quickly. So the moral of that story is, as you guessed it, No Oprah. She didn't go on Oprah. She was very upset. (laughs) Uh, Bad taste in your mouth. You can have a bad taste in your mouth from all the putrefaction of not digesting things and not moving it along. And if you are skipping meals and you're eating erratically because you have no appetite, again, if things aren't working well in your intestinal tract, your body tells your brain, I don't want any more anything. Okay? Stomach pain, uh, burning or aching over a period of, let's say, an hour to four hours after eating, that could mean that you have reflux, by definition, gastroesophageal reflux disease, which again, stay with me here, can be caused by weak pancreas because if we're not digesting lower down, you, you everything just, the pressure pushes things up. It, then you pop open the valve between your stomach and your, the lower portion of your small intestine. And then that gives you all this reflux stuff because anytime you get stomach acid in your esophagus is bad, whether you feel it or not, and you don't always feel it. Stomach acid is not made to be in contact with the pancreatic lining. I'm sorry, with the, the esophageal lining. So it degenerates it, it breaks it down. It can go so far as to break it down so badly that it causes something called Barrett's esophagitis. Stay with me. Barrett simply means it's a term that applies to when a certain level of destruction occurs in the lower end of the esophagus where it meets the stomach because of the constant contact of stomach acid in that area. And the normal cells of the lower part of the esophagus, they transform 
as they are being irritated uh, with the stomach acid and they form what's called columnar cells, which are very, very strongly predisposed to becoming cancer cells. So it's really important that if you have weak pancreas and or weak stomach, weak liver, it needs to be managed. Now you're thinking, wait a second, Dr. Wald, you just said give stomach acids, but you said stomach acid in the esophagus can cause problems. That's all true, and yes, I did. But as some of you know, the most common cause of reflux is probably not that someone has an infection in their stomach called H. pylori. The only cause of reflux itself is that there is weakness of the valve, as I mentioned, between the stomach and the pancreas. If that valve opens up, even if you have low stomach acid in your stomach, but you have any at all, that low amount, some of that's going to get into the lower end of your esophagus. And that's going to erode your esophagus. The treatment must involve, in my opinion, closing that gastroesophageal valve, the valve between the lower end of the esophagus and the stomach. But guess what? Gastroenterology, in all its wisdom, and again, don't mean this as a criticism. I mean this as a fact. There are no real treatments routinely provided to patients who have reflux disease, GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, to help the improve the tone of the gastroesophageal valve so it closes when it's supposed to be closed so stomach acid doesn't come back up. The treatments now for reflux disease, as you know, are antacids. They're either proton pump inhibitors, for the most part, it's probably the most common, and there are H2 blockers, histamine blockers, and there are a few others that work a little differently, but none of them focus on the cause of the problem, which is closing that valve. That might have to do with certain dietary changes. It definitely has to do the correction of that autonomic nervous system, which, by the way, folks, automatically controls the tone of the valve and automatically functions so that when you eat, it knows to open without you telling it, please open. All right, let's back up for a second. Your autonomic nervous system is your nervous system. It does things automatically, as the name implies. Like all of the things that are happening in your body right now that you're not thinking of. Your immune system killing cancer cells. Your esophageal valve hopefully closing when it's supposed to. The nervous system sending signals to your pancreas, to your stomach, to release pancreatic enzymes and stomach acids. Your breathing, automatic. Although breathing is also a voluntary response. You can change your breathing pattern. My point here, though, is if you have reflux, you've got a problem with your autonomic nervous system. Your autonomic nervous system is made of essential fatty acids. So you need omega-3 fats. You need an amount of omega-3s that matches your body weight, or at the very least, your metabolic rate. I cannot emphasize it enough. This is probably the most fundamentally wrong thing that I've heard from any people that have heard me on this show and have come to me as patients. They're taking a lot of the right things. Their doses are totally wrong. 
because they're not based on anything. They're based on practitioners or, or, or the labels saying, take this amount, and that amount has nothing to do with their needs. That's like me telling you to go exercise. Are you going to exercise like me today? Maybe you will, but you're probably not going to push weights for two hours and bike for an hour. But maybe you'll do more than that. My point is we need to be specific. I need to say, who are you? What are your issues? How do we set up your exercise routine? How do we set up your supplement doses? Remember, that was the whole point of this conversation, how to figure out a dose. You get a body composition test. You get a malabsorption test. If you malabsorb by 30%, you need to increase your doses by 30% to push it through and to fix the problem. It's a little more complicated than that. So weak pancreatic um, syndrome can cause all kinds of problems, and the problems may not all be digestive. For example, if you have chronic inflammatory symptoms, muscle aches, pains, brain fog, just, again, chronic complaints, that is a sign that you may not have enough digestive enzymes. If you do not have enough digestive enzymes, you're not absorbing normally. There's different types of malabsorption. One type of malabsorption is you have low stomach acid. Another type is low pancreatic enzymes. Another type is all of those things. A third type is you might have uh, low bile acid secretion. Another type of malabsorption is you might have something called parietal cell or intrinsic factor antibodies and your body's not absorbing B12 correctly. And some of you are thinking, oh, no, no, I'm absorbing my B12 just fine. I had a blood test done. In fact, my B12 was not only normal, it was actually high. And some people say to me, so I don't need B12, right? Wrong. Usually, particularly if you're over 50, if your blood B12 is high or high normal or normal, you may not be getting enough B12 in your cells because your blood test of B12 was a plasma test or a serum test. Follow me here. Your head in a room, your head is your cells, all the cells of your body. Everything around your head is the serum or the plasma. And you have B12s floating all over the room that you're sitting in. And it could, they could be a normal amount of B12s. But what if the B12s floating around you are high? Maybe they're high because they're not getting in your head which your head could be your brain cell, it could be your liver cell, your thyroid cell, your muscle cell, your pancreatic cells, your digestive cells, get it? So just because you have a normal level of something in the plasma or the serum doesn't mean it's getting in your cells. And if I had a nickel for every time people come to see me and their doctors told them that their B12 levels are fine, I would be retired. <laughs> well, I'm never retiring, but here's the point. Well, some of you are thinking, never retiring. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, I love what I do. Uh, is that I gave a seminar in my office. I've meant mentioned this in past shows to an oncologist and cardiologist and some pharmacists. And I showed them studies of high levels of B12, show, meaning that the person's body cells are not using the B12. So it's actually an abnormality. So if someone with hepatitis C isn't, manu isn't uh, activating B12, that means the levels in the blood go up, which means the pancreas is in, is in a deficit. If you have high levels of B12 and it's not getting into the cell, that means you have a deficiency in the cells, which is where it counts. Some of you may know or may not know 
that most vitamin levels, with the exception of, B3, of uh, D3, most vitamin levels and even mineral levels, they just tell you the last couple of days of intake. So some of you will come to see me and say, Dr. Will, can you, me- can you measure all these vitamins? And I say, I can do that for you, but you're wasting your time. Because the level of vitamins and minerals in the blood only tell you the last few days. So then you're thinking, well, how do you figure out what my needs are? You, you figure that out based on, I figured out based on my blood detective symptom questionnaires and my review of them with you and the, and the questions that I ask you and your responses. I also may do indirect tests. So if I'm told by the lab that your red blood cells are large and your blood looks like it has enough B12 in it, but if your red blood cell is large and you don't have a cholesterol over 300 and you're not getting chemo, the most common reason for you to have large red blood cells, which by the way, none of your doctors tell you you have, almost never, and some of you come in with blood tests and it's right there on the test. That means the cell's getting larger because the B12 is not getting in it. So the cell is saying, please notice me, and it gets bigger, but it becomes less effective. But a large red blood cell happens when not only when the B12 is not getting in, but also when the B6 and the folic acid, the vitamin C, E, and B1 also are not getting in the cells. But you're thinking, no, 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 Dr. Wald, I take all of those supplements. Remember, you're not what you eat. You're also not what you absorb. Uh Uh-oh, another curveball. You are what you activate, ultimately. So if you somehow absorb your B12 or folic acid and you somehow get into the blood, the liver has to methylate those nutrients, which just means it has to turn the switch on and make the body want to use them. But if the liver is not doing that because you have some genetic glitch or you're not eating enough methylators relative to your body weight, then nothing happens. All right, we are talking about weak pancreas. So I've been practicing 28 years. Some of you listening to the show, you're probably my patients, have either met you in person or uh, we've uh, done work through uh, phone. I, I speak with people as patients in uh, the state of New York uh, in other states, even on other parts of the planet. And you know, those of you who have worked with me, that the diagnosis of malabsorption issues like weak pancreas almost never happens in medicine. And who, whose fault is that? First of all, it's mostly the gastroenterologist because it's the gastroenterologist who's supposed to, in my opinion, along with the PCP, be able to identify malabsorptive disorders. But for some reason, malabsorption tests, they are very limited to things like celiac disease, which is a genetically determined malabsorption problem caused by gluten. The only cure for it is to never eat gluten again and then hope your body cleans up the mess after that. And... um, So there's not just any old malabsorption. And the gastroenterologists are not figuring out the pancreatic weakness because they're only looking for pancreatic high levels of pancreatic enzymes, which are indicative of either pancreatitis, but sometimes when other organs, folks, break down, 
uh, due to, you know, really significant sickness, and generally the person's in a hospital setting by this time, they'll have high level of enzymes, but, but these enzymes are not only made by the pancreas, they're made by other organs. So how does a doctor know the difference? He or she needs to look at the entire picture, the holistic picture of the patient and figure it out. Now, if your doctor, if you said to your doctor, measure my pancreatic enzymes and they were low, and if they were actually low, low lipase, low amylase, I promise you, and you then say, well, what do we do for that? And they'll say something like, and don't take my word for it, by the way, if this happens to you, you need to ask your doctor. They'll say, well, well there's nothing to do. That, that doesn't mean anything. We're really concerned only when the enzymes are high. That is exactly what 95% of them are going to tell you because I've been hearing this for the last 28 years. But why do we only pay attention to high enzymes and not low? Stupidity, I would say, ignorance, um, bad medicine. Um, I mean, even natural healthcare providers are not necessarily looking at these factors. So, I mean, some are, obviously. Now, let's talk about how does the pancreas and why is knowing about the pancreas so important for the well it's obviously for the reasons we've discussed but we said that one of the things that pancreas does is it, it controls blood sugar it makes insulin and insulin puts glucose in the cell and it does that relative to glucagon which is a hormone produced by the liver so already the pancreas is affecting the digestive tract. We know that. So it's super holistic. It's affecting the, the liver because it's also telling the liver about the digestive enzyme need and then should the liver make bile acids. But the liver also makes glucagon. And so the liver is all stressed out when the pancreas is stressed out. And then the digestive tract, it controls and influences, I should say, almost every organ in the body. So we're never just dealing with a digestive problem here if we have a weak pancreas. We're always dealing with a whole body problem. So what I do is I do intakes of every organ system in the body with special emphasis on what specifically shows up during my conversations with people. In other words, it's the stomach and the gallbladder and maybe the liver and, and the pancreas. So that means I prioritize that on top of a base of health approaches so that we're not just treating the pancreas or just the liver or just the, the stomach as if they somehow worked alone. We know they don't. Okay, it's really important to look at the entire body. A lot of my patients too, they sometimes forget this. They're like, listen, I'm here because my hormones are out of balance. I'm like, okay, so we're gonna deal with those hormones. And then we'll start talking about other things, maybe their heart, and they'll say, why are we talking about the heart? I'm here for hormones. I said, yes, I understand. I said, but hormones affect the stiffness or flexibility of arteries. And you said that you had a family history of cardiovascular disease. And that cardiovascular disease is influenced by hormone balance. So a true holistic provider, from my perspective, will always review the whole body and everything. Now, that's not to say that if a practitioner feels that he or she's come up with something that needs to go elsewhere, they should do that. So if, if, I, if someone comes to me and they, have a, and they have hypothyroidism, low thyroid, and I've determined that based on testing and it's very obvious, 
I might refer them to an, to an endocrinologist, a hormone doctor, and that hormone doctor will probably recheck my results to make sure that they're stable or not. And then we'll probably do an ultrasound of the thyroid and, and take it from there. But the thyroid is a hormone-secreting gland. And when one hormone-secreting gland is affected, it can affect one or any number of other hormone-secreting glands like the pancreas. So I commonly see low pancreatic functioning with low thyroid. And if it's a chronic problem, people have had it for more than several months, their adrenal glands are also weak. Everything is hypo, hypoadrenalism, hypothyroidism, and hypopancreatic function. But I need to make a distinction for you. Does that mean that when you go to the doctor after I say to you, I think your pancreas is weak, and that you go to your primary and the primary says, oh my goodness, what? And then refers you to a sonogram or to the gastroenterologist and they do an ultrasound sonogram of your abdomen and they say, your pancreas is fine. They're looking for pancreatic inflammation or pancreatic en enlargement. With pancreatic weakness, you don't see anything. The structure of the pancreas generally looks the same. So there's no visual test to do that. There's only the enzyme tests. Are the enzymes low? But the enzymes can sometimes not be low and you can still have a low-functioning pancreas. Why the heck is that? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because this is the blood detective show and we go further on this show so you get super, super blood detective smart so you can be your, your own blood detectives. Think about it. It's simple. If your enzymes are normal on a blood test, does that mean that maybe you could be a better normal and function better? I mean, look, if you're not feeling well, and let's assume you've got low pancreatic enzyme output, and you just don't feel well, things are just not healing, and your blood tests are normal for those enzymes, maybe you need to have a new Normal. You're going to keep hearing this new normal concept because before you kept hearing it in the news, all people using the term new normal, new normal, I made it up. <laughs> I was driving with my wife and I said, people need a new normal. I said, new normal, that's, that's the title of my next book. And then I said to her, wait, it won't be so long. Everyone's going to be using that term. Now, unreal. So I got to finish that book. <laughs> but we don't have to finish a book for you to get what you need now. Here is the important point, folks. Please hear it. If your lab testing, no matter what you're tested, is essentially normal or your doctor says, yeah, I know you got you these symptoms, but your blood work is not reflecting anything. There's not, nothing for me to do here. And you've gone to a few other doctors too and they're like, yeah, well, there's nothing really so off here. And yeah, these things are off over here. They're, they don't explain anything. So have a nice life. That means you need a new normal. If you feel badly and your chemistry say you're, it's, they're normal, you need a new normal. And I've said before during my lab interpretation shows that if you were to measure your labs and you were to, well, let me put it another way. Let's say you go to donate your blood. You go to donate your blood and you don't have anemia, you don't have AIDS and uh, you know, tick-borne diseases. They will 
uh, take, they make an average of all of the different aspects of your blood, the glucose, the cholesterol, all that stuff. And if you're seemingly well, they will include your blood results in the national average. And that's who you are compared to, the national average of men or women your age who are seemingly well, without obvious disease. And that's what happens. Now, the issue is, um, if you're being compared to average, we all know that average is not necessarily healthy. Average clearly isn't the healthiest, it's the average. So maybe you need different normal levels of things, different than average levels. You know, as a weightlifter and as a marathon runner, I don't need the average amount of nutrition. I need something for me that allows me to get done what it is I need to do. And uh, that may be very, very different than the so-called normal test that all my doctors are telling me I'm good to go. That's really sad, first of all, and it's lazy. And I also think it can be uncaring because if you don't feel well and someone looks at labs and say you're fine, most doctors, again, it's a generalization, when they look at those labs, they'll say to themselves, well, I don't see anything here. I'm this sort of doctor. I only have so much that I can do, so I have nothing more to do here. So they might refer you somewhere else, but at the end of the day, nothing might really happen. And then you don't really have practitioners that are staying up nights thinking about you saying, I must be missing something. Even patients make excuses for their doctors. They'll say to me, Dr. Wald, I don't know if you're gonna find anything. I've had, I've had every test done. And I look at their tests, and sometimes they've had some thorough testing done, but most of the time that's not what happens. I look at the test and I say, hmm, uh, where's the rest of it? And they'll say, what do you mean? I'll say, well, I don't see a blood count here. I don't see a chemistry. The, the vitamin D level's missing. Uh, you don't have a magnesium level, uh, or whatever it is. And so people are under the impression that they've gotten all the tests done, as if, with respect to the general public, that they have a clue about the appropriate test that they, they need done. Or sometimes the right testing was re requested, like I'll write it down on my letterhead to a doctor, and I'll say, hey doc, these particular tests are better off drawn by you so the patient is covered. Would you mind doing them? These are the reasons. And then I'll, I'll mention something like C-reactive protein, CRP. CRP is a test of inflammation. And I will say CRP cardio test, which is a better test than CRP non-cardio. And as usually what happens is I get a test result back, but it's the non-cardio one, not the best one which means even when the doctors listen to the patient and says, sure, I'll do these tests, if they're not familiar with doing them, even when I write them down on a piece of paper, they do the wrong ones. However, even after that happens and they, and they do the wrong ones, some of these tests are abnormal because I suggested them for a reason. I thought they might be, and they often are, not always, and not all of them, and then the doctor doesn't review them with the patient because quite honestly, they look at it and they don't know what they mean. And it would really have to be a super red flag for them to see something abnormal, abnormal to then call the patient up and say, we gotta do something next. So basically what they do is they ignore it. Or worse yet, this has happened a lot, 
um, a nurse practitioner or even a nurse or a physician assistant will call the patient and say, yeah, all the, all the labs are normal. And I am not at all saying that nurses, nurse practitioners, and physician assistants aren't phenomenal healthcare providers. They are. I'm just telling you that there are many times that I have seen this scenario and the person is told, the patient's told, the labs are fine, but they're not fine. And then uh, the only answer I can give to the patient, which I think is the truth, when they say, well, why, couldn't, why didn't they tell me? You've got, you're telling me the glucose is a little high here. You're telling me my LDL is a little high. You're telling me my vitamin D is in the normal range, but it's not at the best place in the normal range, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why aren't they telling me this? I say, well, I don't really know why. I'm not in their heads, but maybe they thought that these abnormalities didn't add up to a specific disease that they could treat or it wasn't bad enough to meet their criteria for treatment. All I know is we need to factor this into your health. No doubt about it. So we're talking about the proper use of labs uh, that tell us about the, the, the way in which weak pancreatic function affects a multitude of organs that go missing in traditional medical circles, but also holistic circles too. I'll see people that have symptoms of weak pancreas and then they'll see a practitioner, they'll say, well, we're gonna do your food allergy tests. But food allergy tests are commonly falsely elevated when there's just inflammation in the body. So I don't do those tests until I first feel that I know the level of inflammatory stress in this patient so that, and uncorrected if possible, so it doesn't cause false positives of other tests that are then misread. That's a really common one. And I'm gonna name one other thing that seems a little off topic. I'll just spend a minute on it. So there is the mito, mitogen re lymphocyte response test that's being becoming very popular now in New York. The problem with this test is that the company claims that the test is the best way of figuring out nutritional needs for the person in the, in the body cells. This is false. The reason it's, fa it's false is because if anything, and at best, the tests only check lymphocyte responses. So maybe they're best for the level of nutrients in a lymphocytic cell, which is an antiviral immune cell, but that's not a brain cell, a thyroid cell, a gut cell, a skin cell, a thymus cell, a adrenal cell, an ovarian cell, you get me? So we need to be careful. We need the right test for the right person we want to avoid expensive testing that doesn't make a change potentially in what we do. So whenever I consider the appropriate test for people, I think about, well, what can I do for this patient without any tests? How can I improve the approach of what I'm doing if this patient decides to do certain tests? but I will never do tests that are just interesting and give information that can't be acted upon. And the pancreatic enzyme, there's a list of different tests to consider. One is you want a CBC, a complete blood count. You want a comprehensive metabolic panel. You want a lipase, an amylase, pancreatic enzyme tests. You want a C-reactive protein cardio if you can get it. And a vitamin D. Now that's not everything, and some of those you may not need, but it depends on your health picture. 
when you email me at info at blooddetective.com, I'll say it again, info like information at blooddetective.com, and you request my hormonal, I'm sorry, my, um, is it the hormonal questionnaire? Yeah, no, my digestive systems questionnaire, you will have a much better idea of what tests to order, if any. So I start the questionnaires that lead me to the body systems. And then we have to remember too, the way you interpret a questionnaire is not gonna be the same as me. But there is a value in you self-evaluating yourself. Then it's always best to to take that self-evaluation and sit with a trained individual to figure this stuff all out. So there's a few more uh, concepts quickly before the uh, show today is over. And again, you've been listening to Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. I practice in Katona, which is in Westchester, New York. I'm located about an hour north of New York City. I see people by appointment. You can reach me by calling 914-552-1442. That's 914-552-1442. You can also email me at info at blooddetective.com, your radio show concepts, and your request for the digestive questionnaire. So essentially, you'll figure out from the questionnaire symptoms that will lead you to understand how your body overall is being affected in terms of how you're aging. And then the specific area of the questionnaire on pancreas will let you know whether or not it seems that you have a trend towards, towards low pancreatic function or high pancreatic function, and almost everyone is low. But low for you may be manifesting differently in terms of symptoms and health problems as someone else, which is why it's so difficult to say all of these people have weak pancreas function because maybe you have reflux and someone else doesn't. Maybe you have slow stool or slow bowel movement, but someone else doesn't, but their stool is harder and, it's, and it has more of an odor to it. So it, the, the symptoms, everyone, this is really important. The symptoms of low pancreatic function can be very different from person to person. The questionnaires a start. Trial and error with a qualified healthcare professional is definitely in the mix to do and sometimes specific lab tests, and then trial and error in terms of the natural ways to eat and exercise and supplementation and seeing what happens, which also tells you more about the functionality of not just your pancreas, but its wider connections to the rest of the body. So I wanna thank you all so much for listening today. Once again, this is Ask the Blood Detective. You can reach me, Dr. Michael Wald, at 914-552. 1442 and email me if you'd like to work with me at info at blooddetective.com. Take care. Show you.